Praise God for joining us again. This is part two. It's going to appear on your podcast as a different recording. But it is, we're in the same night. We just took a few minutes break. And this is part two, which of Ephesians chapter two, verses 11 to 22. So we're about to go through 11 to 22. So we praise God. Thank you for joining us. Those who were with us before, those who are coming on now, we are here by the grace of God. I am Dr. McHugh. I'm in St. Martin's. And thank God for how His Spirit is leading. We'll be here for the rest of this week. I'm St. Martin's in the Caribbean on the French side. And we'll be here for the rest of this week and then next Monday. Thank God. We want to encourage you to invite others, invite you friends, let them know so that they also can join us and be blessed by the word of God and what God is doing. We just thank him. Since some of you might be joining us for the first time, we want to open with a word of prayer and ask God to bless you. Father, thank you. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, we pray for those who are joining us and for us, O Holy Spirit, pour out your blessing, dear God. For those who are saved, we who are saved, thank you. For those who are not saved, Jesus, bring them to yourself. Thank you, Jesus. For those, Father, who have health needs, Father, you said that when the gospel go forth, signs and wonders and miracles will follow the proclamation of the gospel. So thank you, Jesus, for deliverance and supernatural healing in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, says, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, were also called uncircumcised by what is called a circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers, from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I'm not going to spend tonight a lot of exposition in terms of speaking about this relationship here with the Jewish people back there in scriptures. It's Paul using the term uncircumcision and circumcision. What I would say is this. And for, of course, we who are in the conference, you will get that material. All right. But Paul is saying, using the, the, the word here, Gentiles, uh, in the sense of unbelievers. And so he is saying, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, were called uncircumcised. And of course, the uncircumcised would be the non-Jews and the circumcised would be those who were in a covenant relationship with God, with the Jewish people. But what is important here is this, what Paul is saying is this, that we are in a covenant relationship with God, an eternal relationship with Him because of Christ Jesus. And based on everything that we said before, that we were once walking in this world as children of wrath, but now we are not. But now in Christ Jesus, you, you who were once far off, 
verses 13 have been brought near. And look at look at these last four four words here. By the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. The Bible describes blood as the life itself. That's how God explains blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And this is why it was necessary for God to come into this world. God established back in the Old Testament times the tabernacle and then the temple and sacrifices were given, sacrifices of the animals. And the blood of the animals was acceptable at that time. But it was just symbolic of Christ who would come. And when Christ came, and even then, the scripture says, if, if the blood of bulls and goats could have been sufficient temporarily for God to accept it, and then every year the high priest will have to offer a sacrifice for himself and then for the sin of the people. But since he himself is a human person, then he will have to do this, In the book of Hebrews explains this, every year he will have to do this. But Jesus Christ, once for all, Jesus became the perfect Paschal Lamb of God. Once for all. Because he is God himself that walk among us. In other words, he did not inherit the Adamic sin. And so for once for all, he shed his blood. So it is by the blood of Jesus. For we as believers today, when we understand this theology and doctrine of the blood of Jesus, in reality to spiritual warfare, Satan trembles and he's afraid when we recognize and we appropriate and we speak and we confess that in the, by the blood of Jesus there is deliverance. The demons tremble at that. They don't tremble at us, they tremble at that truth. See, we're not fighting them. If we were fighting them, they would be happy, wouldn't they? But since the battle is the Lord's, and since we belong to Jesus, and since Jesus told us, as he said to his disciples before, you weren't praying in my name, but right now I want you to pray in my name. And since he has sealed us with his spirit, you come in contact with someone and that person may be demon-possessed. The only way that you can deal with that situation in that demonic realm is to appropriate the blood of Jesus, demonic spirit in the name of Jesus, and by the blood of Christ, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you. Because it's what Jesus did and the enemy flees. And then we claim the word of God. As Jesus himself, when tempted by Satan, on those three occasions, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness and was tempted by the enemy. And on three occasions, he says, it is written, it is written, it is written. Because this is God's word. And the devil will, this is, this is the sword of the spirit. And he's afraid of this word. He willfully, he always does. And so in reality of, of our lives as believers, 
This is what it is. And when we come in contact with someone, an unbeliever, and they're battling and they're enemy, remember we said prior, he's doing this work in their lives. And he's blinding them. And he's using the flesh. And he's using the mind. And they're resisting the gospel. We appropriate the blood of Jesus. We don't quit on them. Don't ever quit on them. Because Jesus died for them. Don't ever say, maybe it's not God's will for them to be saved. No. God says, it is his will and none should perish. God says, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son for the world. That whosoever. So we understand that that might be a battle of the enemy coming against your flesh, coming against your mind. Thank you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, I speak in the name of Jesus. Demonic spirit, God rebukes you. In the name of Jesus, I recognize the power of the blood of Christ. Because a battle is taking place in the spiritual realm. And sometimes the spirit would lead us. Now if you're not prepared, if you're not mature, and have grown spiritually, such battles you have to come and speak with others. You have to, don't try to undertake that by yourself. And there are times, there are times I've seen in certain in some countries in the world where I've seen people that are demon possessed, sometimes several people that are demon possessed. And I would spirit would lead me to get the other pastors together. And together we'll do that battle. And sometimes we have to take a day and pray and fast. Oh, the enemy hates that one. Because when we pray and fast, now there's a, there's a complete surrender to Jesus and the power of the Holy Ghost inside of us. Solve that problem for humanity. He did it himself. Look at this particular usage here. Christ himself, he himself is our peace. Christ is our peace, we who have put our faith in Jesus Christ in that he solved our relationship with God. And Christ is our peace because he has given us his Holy Spirit who is inside of us. And he said to us, I am going to leave my peace with you. You will have a peace that you will not be able to get from the world. You may not even be able to understand. But I'll leave my very peace with you. So we are actually walking in the very peace and presence of Christ. And sometimes we might be going through some storm in life and there may be people around us, maybe unbelievers, what a glorious testimony. And they look at you and they say, but I don't understand. You're going through all of this and you have a smile. You're going through all of this and, and you're going to church. You're going through all of this and you're praising God. What is happening? Aren't you hurting? We say, of course I'm hurting. Of course I'm going through pain. Aren't you worried? Of course I am. But here, here's what is happening. God 
is giving me a sustaining peace that is based only on who my Savior is. That he is my Savior. Jesus is my Savior. And he himself is giving me his peace. And he is in heaven praying for me. The very peace of Christ is with me. Are we following this? Yes. That's why we don't ever separate the gift from the giver. Our gift, you follow when I say gift, our salvation. We don't ever want to be complacent. Actually, just a warning here. You know, when folks, if, uh, see folks get saved, and, they, and if there ever there is that sense that, well, I'm saved and therefore I'm fine, and God has been good to me, you have to be careful, because that can lead to a sense of pride. And that pride is there because there's a separation between the gift and the giver. But if it is, oh dear God, thank you for saving me, Jesus, every single day, then that giver is there with the gift all the time. Thank you, Jesus. All right. So he broke down the middle wall of separation. Christ solved that having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is in the law, in the law of commandments, containing ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Let's spend some time in this because it's important for us to understand this. How has Christ Verses 14, how has Christ become our peace? Christ is our peace because of his relationship with the Father. Since Jesus is one with the Father, and since Jesus, when he went to the cross, he says, Father, Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And the father turned away from him because he's carrying the burden, the consequence of sin. But now the father is pleased with him. And because of his relationship with the father, he's at peace with the father. And therefore we are partakers of that peace also. So think of that for a moment. Because many a times the enemy can get us in our minds, can trip up our minds. Can get the child of God that might have slipped up over here, said some things, maybe thought some things, maybe acted in ways that grieves the spirit. And then the enemy says to the child of God, but you have lost your relationship with God. And then we have to turn to scripture and say, now Satan. Jesus hasn't moved. He is still at peace with the Father. And I am still sealed with his spirit. But yes, I have a problem in that I have grieved the Holy Spirit. But Jesus hasn't moved. The word of God says if you 
say you have no sin, you deceiving yourself. And the truth is not in you. We're calling God a liar. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When we sin, our sin does not move Jesus' relationship with the Father. Peace with the Father. What gets out of place is our relationship with the Holy Spirit, our relationship with Christ here. That's what out of place. And God says, this is how you correct it. God says, you come to me, you confess it. See, the enemy doesn't want us to do that. We confess it, Father, I have said, this person did not cause me to do this. God, my bad attitude is with me. I have said, the words I said, I'm blaming no one, God. I have said. Then, Father, thank you for forgiving me, Lord. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Now, God, Jesus says, on the basis of his truth, you confess it. I'm going to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. The only possible way that that could have happened is because our sin does not disrupt Jesus' relationship before the Father. The word of God says, if it disrupted that, then, then that would have affected our relationship with God. And the Bible says the only way, in other words, that John chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 can become a reality when God says confess your sins. He says Jesus would have had to, what if God says he would then have to come back and die again and go back to Calvary. Are you following? God says that can't happen. It's once for all he did it. Our peace is with God. But we have to be careful we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He has made peace with the Father on our behalf. He has broken down the middle wall of petition between us. There is no petition that existed in the temple that separates the Jew from the Gentiles. We are all one in Christ. Matter of fact, literally the curtain in the, in the temple was torn when Jesus says, it is finished. I mean, the holies of holies is just now symbolic of the very presence of Christ. And we're there in the presence of Christ. This is why the word of God says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we explain that to folks and folks say, are you saying that someone can get saved and do whatever they want? And when they say that, says, listen, did I tell you I say anything? Did I tell you this is what the word of God says? Are you following that? And the word of God says that once we put our faith in Jesus, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And somebody might say, but I know a man who has been sinning all the time and living in sin, and he says he is saved. That's because the word of God says he was never saved in the first place. When we have a divine encounter with God, it will affect change in our lives. That's why God, when he walks among us, he says, he, call it, he calls it being born again. 
Doesn't this is why it described the, the things that we'll, we did we no longer will do. This is why the old things are passed away. When someone, when a human being has an encounter with the Holy God and seen with the Holy Spirit. They walk and the sin there is conviction taking place. Beyond conviction, God will chasten them. God says, because I love you and you're my child, I will chastise you. Because you're not your own. You were bought with a price. When, when someone challenges the holiness of God, God promises since he loves us, he will chasten them. Amen. To correct them. And if the person resists and resists and resists, God says, as we find two examples in the scripture, God just took them home to be with him. They lost the opportunity to serve him. The scripture says, God, God told them, you, 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 you sin directly against the Holy Spirit because you lie to the Holy Spirit. This was not the pastor or the leader in the church telling you something or the apostles. No, the Spirit had moved in your heart directly and you know exactly what you did and, and only God can deal with that. This is why repentance should be an ongoing experience in our life. And we should never replace fear of God with love of God. Fear of God is fear of God. God actually tells us, he says, what we should not do is, don't be afraid of man, but be, fear, be afraid of the one who has authority to put us in eternal hell. But fear is fear. Matter of fact, the best way for us to have wisdom is when we fear God. Because if we don't fear God, then remember those two areas, flesh and the mind. Our spirit renewed, but the enemy still has access there to the flesh and the mind. What is man's enmity? Verses 15. That which separated him from God, that which causes division, and that even that division among people, in this case here with the Jews and the Gentiles. Christ took care of it. Christ came in the flesh, he offered himself to be crucified. He did what the law could not do. He made us a new person in Christ. Second Corinthians chapter five and verses seventeen says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The idea that one can sin and God does not have a problem with it, that is from hell itself. That is from hell itself. And folks saying that well, I can sin, and, and that does not bother God. This is Jesus came to deliver us from wrath. Eventually, the devil and the false prophets and everyone will be cast into eternal hell. 
God does have a problem with sin. But he loves us. So Jesus, he is our peacemaker. He, he made peace with God. That peace, that wall that separated us from God, Christ took care of it. And that he might reconcile both them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. There's no difference between Jew and Gentiles. There's no differences. Or whoever put your faith in Jesus. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we have both access by one spirit to the Father. Through Jesus Christ we have access to God by the Holy Spirit. Think of that for a moment. Let's think of that for a moment. So how can we come to the Father? This is why when we pray, we are praying this way. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. Are we following this? Yes. This is how we pray. Couldn't pray this before. Jesus actually told his disciples. He says, before you could not pray this in my name, but now you can. He said, Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill me and lead me to pray because you will only reveal Jesus inside of me. Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, where I have sinned, Father, lead me to confession. Verses 19 says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now that we are saved, what is our relationship with God? We are no longer strangers. We are no more foreigners. We are fellow citizens with saints and we are members of God's household. We are not a nation. No difference now between Jew and Gentile, male or female, whoever put their faith in Jesus. God has a new household of which Jesus is the head of that household. Verses 20 says, Having been built in the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Everything in the Bible, all 39 books in the Old Testament, and all 27 books in the New Testament. The foundation of all of God's prophets and apostles. The church is built on that. All of the Old Testament is fulfilled in the truth in the New Testament on Calvary. Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. 
So in that sense, we are the stones around being placed. I have been looking through the window and seeing the folks across the street every day. They're mixing the cement and how they're placing that brick and it reminded me of this today while reviewing my notes. Each and every one of us, we are a brick in place where God has us. Everyone is important to God. Everyone. Every little brick. There are no there are no holes in, in God's house. If you are burnt there, God will not kick you out and throw you away. You're there, but Christ is a man, he is our chief cornerstone. He's holding it together. This is why Paul will go on and talk about how the enemy attacks that in every assembly Satan comes against the unity of the assembly to create problems and disunity. The best way to solve this unity is don't focus on the issues. Focus on Jesus. Let's focus on Jesus. That's what you do. And if there are practical issues that have to be worked out, it will be worked out when the focus is on Jesus. And because, because there is only one cornerstone. If I am in an assembly, which I am, and I have an idea, and I think that something should be done this way, and I think I should impose my idea upon everyone else, or I take it personal that others, they're not following me. Because... My idea is the best idea and everyone, what have I just done? I have just removed Christ from being the chief cornerstone. I have become the chief cornerstone. But when it is Lord Jesus, Father, thank you God, this beautiful imagery that we belong to you. See, because the enemy is going to work through what does he work through even with the saints? The flesh, you know, the passion, the feelings, all those type of things, the emotions, and what else? The mind. But when it's Christ, dear God, in whom the whole building being fit together grows into the temple in the Lord, a holy temple, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. What a beautiful analogy. How is Christ's house and church built with Christ being the chief cornerstone? All ministries get into problems. Even leadership can get into problems if Christ is moved from being the chief cornerstone. When Christ is a chief cornerstone, what a blessing to hear your pastor say to you. What an awesome blessing to hear him say. When you hear the word, you listen to the doctrine and the teaching, and you listen to the voice of the Spirit. 
What do you think he is saying there? He is saying, I am not the spirit. See? I may be one the spirit is using. But I am not above Jesus. Jesus is doing his work in your life. What he's saying to you is, you don't have to, I, you don't have to come through me for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Are you following that? He's saying, let the Spirit speak to you. Of course, if the enemy whispers some doctrine in your heart that is way off, and he calls you in your office and he says, look, here's what the scripture says. Now, God says you have to pay attention to those whom he placed to teach you an authority to expound God's word to your heart also. Are you following this? So that is by no means for us to go and every man is a church in himself. But it does mean that what your pastor is saying is Jesus is ahead here. And we see it all over the world, don't we? Sadly so. We see people lifting people up. Yes. We see people today, they, 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 they get so caught up in it. It's, well, so-and-so said something. God says, test the spirit. It's not who said it, it's what is being said. God says you test it with a word. And you'll know it if it is of God or not. Even Brother Peter, God, Jesus called him the Petros. Jesus says, I will build my rock on this foundation, but I'll build, build a church. Your name is Petros, now we change, you see. I'm going to build it on this foundation of the apostleship. But even Peter, Brother Paul says, now listen, Peter, something is happening here. You can't be in fellowship with the Gentiles when they come in, and then when the Jewish brethren come in, you sit with them, and then you're taking the burden that they're putting upon the Gentile brothers, because he says, what's happening here? That is an attack against the gospel itself. But what was Paul standing on? Truth, isn't it? And how did Peter respond to that? See, it was not a personal attitude, a personal thing. It was Jesus that's the gospel, isn't it? This is about Jesus. And that's what causes a church to go. Because we, we go out because Jesus, we are representing Jesus. We're by no means representing an institution. We are representing Jesus. We worship because we worship Jesus. God is doing it. In whom you also are being built together for the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Last emphasis I want to put here is this. See how God is telling us he is building his church? Every piece of this building is in Christ. And Christ is the center of the building in the church. Now let's understand this. When we are saved, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Thank God for that doctrinal truth, right? Now that we're saved, we look back and appreciate it is by the grace of God. Each member has a relationship with God, with Jesus, 
based on the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So each member in that assembly, all, all of us, we are of the same equal value before God. So if a child of God is struggling, matter of fact, if a child of God might actually have stumbled, then it affects everyone else. Because we reach out and we start to pray, we start to intercede, we start to love. See? We don't ever say, oh dear God, replace him. Uh-uh. It's part of that building. Are you following this? Part of that building. Going to leave and go to that person. We love you. You're part of this. Are we following? You don't have to be, we will not make you feel ashamed. We will not make you feel that we are better than you. Because we are not where we are at because of what we did. We're not, we're not saved by what we did. How much less to think that we are attaining something by what we did. So don't be thinking that way. That's the work of the enemy. Are you following us? That's what it is. The church together. Because we're saying you have a place here. Which Christ is the head. And we are hurting because we love you. We are not condemning. And we certainly not judging. And we certainly not thinking we are holier than you. Because Christ is the one who is building us a new part of this glorious family. And what if, what if they say, no, because the enemy is working against them in the flesh and in the mind. What do we do? We come back and we start praying and fasting. We fast and pray and pray and pray. And God will bring deliverance. Amen. Yes, we don't ever give up. Don't ever give up on the child of God. Because God did not give us enough, give up on us while we were yet in sin. And he certainly wouldn't do it now that he has placed us in a church and using us and give us different gifts. Let us pray. Father, we bless your name. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for sealing us. Thank you, Jesus. That you are in our form, in heaven, the risen Christ, and therefore we are partaking of the very truth and the, the essence of that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And as we pray, Father, remind us, O oh God, O oh Holy Spirit, fill us. Remind us, dear God, that this gift that you have given us and you are the giver of that gift. And then, Father, thank you that you have, we have peace with you. Jesus, Messiah, Father, you have made peace with God on our behalf. And then, Father, thank you that you're building your church. Every assembly, dear God, 
and the truth, truth of the prophets and truth, the apostles, all 66 books. Thank you, Jesus. It took Father a thousand, almost a thousand six hundred years to bring it together. Thank you, Jesus. In your spirit and by your spirit, thank you, Father. You're building every assembly and then the church globally, the universal church, Father. So we bless your holy name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Holy, holy, holy. You are Lord God Almighty. Glory and honor beyond you. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say, Amen. Thank you, Jesus.